0: hey what's going on everybody welcome to another week of the humanity matters weekly i am your host philip fletcher and glad for you to join me on tonight during this uh long form version of of the humanity matters broadcast and so hey it is a great day uh to be alive right to be uh living (laughs) and breathing and all that good stuff and so i'm glad that you are able to uh join me on uh tonight as always you can connect with me on my social media and you can find it at phil fletcher it's on twitter like my facebook page dr philip fletcher greatly appreciate it i'm about to hit like five thousand on my private page so when that happens you're gonna have to go to my Dr. Philip Fletcher page for all my stuff. So go over there and like it, you know, because I won't be posting much longer on my private page. Um, YouTube, just look up Dr. Philip Fletcher, subscribe. I got a special going on. Go over to Dr. Philip Fletcher, like the post, and subscribe to YouTube channel, and you will get a free gift. All right. So hit me up, subscribe. And then as always, you can find me over my website philipfletcher.org hey patreon i am looking for some patreon supporters so if you would be willing to just go over to my patreon page and like it become a member why so there are some things i'll be putting on patreon uh some Unique podcast some unique videos and writings that are not going to be available on my website Not gonna be available on my youtube channel or on my facebook because there's some like real like Real personal like I need to just dig in and put out some things and I really don't want to get in arguments about it because you know how that can happen Whether you're on facebook or twitter or anything like that, but I also want to connect and be more personable with Uh, people who will be my Patreon supporters. So um, go over there, support me. Greatly appreciate it very much. And your support helps me give out free gifts because I like to give stuff away. I don't like to sell things Um, and just continue to uh, offer, I hope, some good content for you, ladies and gentlemen. So go over again to Patreon and you can find it on my website. You can go through there, or you can go through Patreon. Just put in my name and find me that way. Philip Fletcher, PhD. All right. And as always, check out my nonprofits, City of Hope Outreach, Hope Village, as well as Replicate, coho58.org, hopevillagecoho.org, hopevillagecoho.org, and Replicate you can learn about on my coho58.org. Where we're at right now, with Hope Village is that we just we finished uh, some water and sewer stuff. Uh, Conway Corp came out and did that work, and right now we have to have some additional trees cut down so that we can uh, continue some additional um, stuff that Conway Corp has to do. Uh, and then from there we got electrical stuff that's got to happen, and then we'll start laying foundations. And so I'm just very thankful for a whole bunch of generous individuals and we're going to talk about generosity tonight uh generous individuals and foundations um, who have uh, just been helpful and instrumental uh in making this project happen and so if you want to learn more about what we're doing regarding our small homes which is to provide housing for the homeless and veterans and low-income individuals here in conway arkansas again go Check out hopevillagecoho.org. I firmly believe that if you um, announce something and you give some people some direction and you kind of appeal to a little bit of, you know, um, a little bit of self-interest and their compassion, people are going to act. And they won't have to act under the, the, of a threat or a penalty or shame or condemnation. But I firmly believe that in individuals, the majority of us, right, everybody will do what they can. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask, and people will find a way to do something to help out other people. But I digress on that, because we will swing back around and talk about that. Hey, if you ever want to uh, send me an email and you want me to engage with you in that form or fashion, then you can always hit me up on email, humanity matters podcast at gmail.com humanity matters podcast at gmail.com. And I will gladly respond to you. And I may even take your question and use it um, to talk about things. Cause I love questions. I love positive critiques. I love negative critiques. And I also love to get information. That I wasn't quite aware of before, so I could go out and uh, research it. So, send me some questions. You know, a book I've been reading, and I would highly encourage you to get it, is this book called The Denial of Death. It is like been so um, informative in understanding really the psychology of how individuals like ourselves, like myself, have a hard time dealing with the concept of our mortality, our death. And so um, I greatly encourage you to read that book. That's This book has been a long line of different books I've been reading this year. Jordan Peterson, Carl Jung. Um, I've got a book I'm going to be starting reading in the next few weeks, um, dealing with the body and remembering trauma and things like that. Really been dealing... Digging deep into issues of psychology, psychoanalysts, therapy and things like that. So to better understand people and how to uh, approach people and how to be more uh, empathetic with individuals who are going through a host of particular things. So, hey, you may have Jesus, but you can also have a therapist. It's okay, Right. You may have Buddha, but it's also okay to have a therapist. You may have Allah. But it's also good you can have a therapist, or you can be completely agnostic, (laughs) but you can still have a therapist. Or you may just think that, you know, once you die, you're just going to go back and just be worm food and there's nothing beyond the grave. Okay. But you too can get a therapist. So that's my encouragement to you. A lot of great friends whom I have um, talked to over the last few years and seen the benefit of what they. Um, have experience with therapy. I did a podcast uh, a few months ago, Um, and I would uh, greatly encourage you to check out Lakita Norris and that interview I did with her in my Humanity Matters one-on-one, and you can find that on the Anchor podcast or on the YouTube channel if you want to watch the video live. So again, glad you are here with me on today. So Let's dig into some things that's been happening over the past week. So, one, let's talk about the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So, news came out, and uh, where I get my news from is called uh, Goodreads, all right, and I would encourage you, um, Ground News, excuse me, that's Goodreads, a whole other thing, Ground News is a website and also an app where you can get news from all different sources, right? From the left, from the right, news in America, news from different countries, looking at how they're reporting news that's going on in America and how we're reporting news in those different countries. But I would encourage you to download the app, ground news, look it up. And what they do is they'll look at an article, right? And they'll, And they'll pull all the articles from news sources that are coming from the right, news sources that are coming from the left, even news sources that are coming from the center. And then they'll assign what is called a a blind spot percentage. Right. So. I'm looking at this. And so the headline is exclusive FBI finds scant evidence. U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. So that's from Reuters. All right. Uh, The Hill. Uh, reports and this is right wing. the hill FBI finds scant evidence January 6th attack was coordinated all right and there were and then the independent or let's go the Daily Beast all right so they say this right 27% of individuals who are on the right or get their news from the right they're learning about this right but If you get your news from more what would be considered the left, right? It is saying this. The news story is a blind spot to people who are on the left, right? Wow. So have you heard that the FBI has found scant evidence, okay, that the January 6th Capitol attack, was coordinated, that there's no evidence. Now, it was said that it was coordinated. You know, Trump organized this thing, um, different types of groups, you know, and then they all merged and did it. But the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, this is Biden's FBI, right? Not Trump's FBI. But they said this, that it was not coordinated. All right, so I'm reading from uh, Reuters, The FBI has found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was the result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election result, according to four current and former law official officials. Though federal officials have arrested more than 570 alleged participants, the FBI at this point believes that violence was not centrally coordinated by far right groups or prominent supporters of then President Donald Trump hello so here's a quote right 90 to 95 percent of these are one-off cases said a former senior law enforcement official all right with knowledge of the investigation then you have five percent maybe of these militia groups that were close more closely organized but there was no grand scheme with roger stone or alex jones and all these people to storm the capital and take hostages. So the question becomes have you heard about this? And then the second question becomes this. If it wasn't coordinated, then why do we keep referring to it as an insurrection? Right? Now I've been critical that I've never seen an insurrection that was done without weapons. Right? If you look throughout history, heck, you can even look at some countries within the last decade or so when insurrections have happened, when individuals or groups have chosen to overthrow their government, they haven't done it like with just their hands and their voices. Right. So the question becomes, why do we continue to say that this was an insurrection, or that president Donald Trump was responsible that, you know, he led this thing. It was coordinated. I think maybe, Nancy Pelosi owes president Donald Trump an apology for that second impeachment. I don't know. What do you think? Right now? I got it. It's just better to continue to throw the former president, Donald Trump, and anybody who votes, voted for him or stood out at his rally in Alabama yesterday, I believe, um, And just look at those individuals as, you know, less than intelligent and, you know, they're, well, they used to be responsible for um, the COVID situation, right? But the fact of the matter is the Federal Bureau of Investigations, Biden's FBI, has reported that what happened on January 6th was not coordinated. It wasn't planned. something to think about hey this is dr philip fletcher welcome to the humanity matters weekly i am your host as we talk about faith and philosophy nonprofit leadership and social issues we want to engage in ideas so that we can flourish as human beings if you have a question or a comment hey give me a comment give me a thumbs up give me a thumbs down it's okay i love you anyway y'all remember to be loved to be kind and we got to remember to Uh, Be generous if you want to send me uh, an email humanity matters podcast at gmail.com humanity matters podcast at uh, gmail.com so take a breather so have you seen what if right so two episodes have come out right now Uh, the first episode dealt with what if Peggy Carter became the first Avenger and not Steve Rogers right. That episode was okay, right? I felt like uh, they just, like, really just redid Captain America, the first Avenger, and just switched it out for her, right? Um, and um, it was okay, and it ends with, well, it ends with her in the, in the present, okay? Similar to what happened to the original Captain America, where he ended up in the present, but... He She ended up in the present under different circumstances. And then the better episode, I would give the first what if episode like a C plus, to be honest with you. The animation was cool. The colors were cool. The story was kind of weak, to be honest with you. Now, this past week, they released a what if T'Challa, instead of Peter Quill, was kidnapped as a child and became Star-Lord. That episode was awesome. One, it was great to hear Chadwick Boseman's voice one more time, all right? Uh, The second thing that I think really stood out was how they treated Thanos, right? And so in this episode, Thanos is actually working with uh, with T'Challa's Star-Lord, right? And he's kind of like, goofy in a way and people make fun of him because he had this idea again of eliminating half of the universe half of the universe right but there was like nah that's genocide bruh you know he kept trying to advance the idea but it just didn't work so that was very interesting and then having um him again discover uh the situation of how he arrived in space And then ultimately, in the end, um, he returns to Wakanda and meets his uh, family. So that was an excellent episode. So I applaud you, Disney, for that second What If? episode. I hope the next is better. Uh, Other news, the Eternals trailer came out, a second one. So that's going to be very interesting. Again, uh, Eternals is is picking up five years, some time after uh, end game and what happened with that. And that trailer opens up with them referencing what Thanos did now. So this is in the normal universe, if you will, what if is happening in alternate universes, right? The watcher is looking what if, right? But this is the main timeline, right? And so uh, if you didn't know Thanos is related to the Eternals, right? He's like a cousin, right? Um. He's a Titan, but he's also a cousin of uh, the Eternals. And so how that's going to be dealt with, that's going to be pretty uh, interesting and looking forward to seeing uh, Eternals. Uh, Shang-Chi, that's coming out next. Was it two weeks? Two weeks, right? Two weeks. So no, next week, next week. So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is coming out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Marvel and Feige are going to um, move into Phase 4. And everybody's talking about, you know, what's the next Avengers movie? What's that going to be? I'm really looking forward to, hopefully, them bringing in the X-Men. And, obviously, if you didn't know, um, Phase 4 is supposed to end with the Fantastic Four. So, we've had three Fantastic Four movies. Um those three were not good, especially that last one where they tried to reboot it. That one was not good at all. So looking forward to seeing what they're going to do uh, with that. Hey, Dr. Philip Fletcher, i here with Humanity Matters Weekly, and we're going to continue to drive on. I know one of the big things that is in the news, oh, my gosh, is Afghanistan. Oh. Joe, now I said on social media, at least the last two presidencies, I I said it's a bunch of incompetence. Like, if you're willing to say that Donald Trump had a level of incompetence, especially in dealing with what happened with COVID, right, then you equally have to agree that President Joe Biden is demonstrating a high level of incompetence as it relates to what happened in Afghanistan. His first speech at the beginning of this week, I think was laden <laughs> with is everybody else's fault and not my own. Um, obviously he had, from what I understand, he had another press conference today. There's a lot of dispute of what he's saying versus what is actually happening on the ground. Uh, there are reports that there are American citizens who still cannot get to the airport, that the Taliban is making it very difficult for those American citizens to get on a plane and come home. So I'm like, wow, is this where we're at? Because I could have thought we leave nobody behind. That's what it was drilled into me uh, as someone who's a veteran. You leave nobody behind. And the fact that it appears as if um, the Taliban Taliban are dictating the situation is, I don't know, just mind-blowing. So I don't know what Biden is doing. I don't know what the Joint Chiefs of Staff is doing, Secretary of Defense, like, but as... I learned you should listen to the man on the ground. That's what I learned. You should listen to the soldier on the ground and really lean on their insight and what they're reporting and what they're seeing. And then you resource them so that they can complete their mission. You have to understand soldiers, Marines, airmen, Navy, Coast Guard, They want to complete the mission and they don't want to leave anybody behind. So yeah, but here's my thing. And this is one of the things I was paying attention to, right? How do you keep a nation together and divided? Well, you got to give them an enemy. Right. If you want to keep a nation together, you got to give them an enemy. All right. So follow me here. The war on terror, 2001, we had an enemy and. uh, The powers that be, the media sought to put a face on the enemy, even a religion on the enemy. Right. It was an us versus them approach. There are those individuals out there, terrorists, which is actually true. There are people out there that want to kill you because you're an American. That's just the fact. Right. I know a lot of people don't want to think so, but there is there is. OK. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to keep a nation together. Give them an enemy. Give them an us versus them. And then when you give them an enemy, it's easier to justify, and who am I talking about? It's easier for the state to justify taking a whole bunch of money, our money, and then saying, hey, we're going to need to spend a whole bunch of money to protect you, your way of life, your children from this enemy. So that was 2001 right? But as that started to wane, and people, as the news started less and less to report about the global war on terrorism, as the withdrawal uh, in Iraq happened, as the forces kind of reduced in Afghanistan, you know, that news started to roll to the back. No longer did you see rolling across your news screen a threat level. Well, (laughs) we need a new enemy, right? And so, the state turned inward, right? And I would call this the war on racism, all right? What do I mean? So the new enemy became individuals who did not look like me, you know, this color. A new enemy was given. So brown people, black people, Native Americans, Latinos, your enemy is no longer individuals from the Middle East who are seeking to um, strap bombs and blow themselves up in your schools or in your malls or in your airports. Your enemy is no longer uh, individuals who will be willing to fly planes into buildings. No, your enemy is the person that you work with, you go to school with. Your enemy is that white man or white woman. Your enemy is the racist police. Your enemy is the uh, racist institutions, right? That became the new enemy. Again, you keep a nation together, you give them a foreign enemy, right? You keep a political group together, you give them an internal enemy. And so, from, I would say, like, Ferguson up until 2020, right? Because these two enemies started to overlap. The state said, hey, we've done the war on terror enemy. They're Muslim type, Middle Eastern, Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda. Now let's turn inward. The new enemy is the white man, and you are threatened, non-white man and woman. This is how the state is operating, Uh, creating an us versus them. Now, here's something unique that happened, right? Because I've said this before. Last year, when COVID was happening, started, I noticed that the media Took their cues from the White House, the state, and they use war type language on the front lines. Essential. We're at war. So then it became a war on COVID. But here's the thing. So the the us versus them, right, was kind of different. Why? So you had the the war on racism going on right or i should say more the war on the white skinned folk okay that was the enemy but running alongside it as well was the covid thing so what got more attention in news at first well the war on white people need to defund police need to uh burn down these different institutions because of systemic racism, so on and so forth. Right. But then at the same time, another war was happening, a war on COVID, but it was all of us against something that we could not feel. Right. We could see It's effects. Right. People getting sick, people being hospitalized, people being in uh, ICU, people uh, in some cases, sadly dying. Right. But that still wasn't enough. So it was pushed so that the war on COVID became actually these little skirmishes, right? These little, um, so if there's a war, within wars there are battles, right? And so you, the first battle you had was the mask versus the non-mask. Again, us versus them. And what was the state doing? It was pitting those with masks against those who didn't wear a mask. Or it was pitting businesses against one another. Or it was is pitting businesses against one another. These businesses have essential workers. These businesses have non-essential workers. There is another battle. So in the war on COVID, right, then we had these us versus them battles that were going on mass versus non mask essential worker versus non-essential worker essential business versus non-essential business the state steps in a little more and then it says you know what we're going to find some businesses and not find other businesses so our governor asa hutchinson refused to um <laughs> give back the money to small businesses who were fined because they did not do the things that the state told them to do but the walmarts tysons the big corporations they just kept on driving well let's keep on going we're still in the war on covid right and so we have these battles that are happening mask versus non-mask essential worker versus non-essential worker. Essential business versus non-essential business. Then, toward the end of the year, the vaccine is about to come out. We're sitting on a debate, right? President Donald Trump is hailing that the vaccine is coming out. Then-candidate Joseph Biden and then-candidate Kamala Harris, president and vice president, respectfully, uh, respectively, Uh, They were hesitant about the vaccine. They didn't give confidence in the vaccine. They come into office. Now what are they doing? The battle continues. Still under the war on COVID, but the state actors have changed, uh, taking a lot of guidance from the CDC. And now the war has shifted to vaccinated versus non-vaccinated and still mass versus non mass And we are playing hook, line, and sinker into it because now we're looking at a person who's not wearing a mask as an enemy, as a threat. It's a threat to children going to school, as a threat to the elderly, as a threat to whomever. See, that's enemy type language, right? And it is constantly being... Crested out first by the state, influenced by these institutions like the CDC, the National Institute of Health and others. Backed up by social media as well. Okay, And us versus them. They're going to keep us at war with one another. But the question you got to ask yourself is this, is why do they keep you at war with your neighbor or your coworker? or the person that you worship with, or the person that you live in the same city with for years. Something to think about. But that wasn't enough. With Afghanistan, and what happened with that a few weeks, uh, last week, as a matter of fact, two weeks now, I hear the war language happening again with how joe biden treated the withdrawal i agree that we shouldn't be there thumbs up yes do i agree with how they implemented executed it no i don't but nonetheless you hear that language again if we bring these refugees over have they been vetted because our schools are at risk our border is at risk they can come through Mexico into the United States. Do we want similar things to happen here? Because now with the Taliban, Taliban, I always say that wrong, Taliban coming back, will these other groups come back? America is now less safe. And I promise you this, just like they asked for a whole bunch of money regarding the war on terrorism starting in 2001. Just like there was an ask for a lot of money regarding the war on racism, just like there was an ask for a whole bunch of money regarding the war on COVID, I promise you there's about to be a big ask for a whole bunch of money in terms of security regarding what happened in Afghanistan. If you disagree with me, I would love to hear from you. But every time the language of war has been used in relationship to an actual conflict in which there is violence and bullets flying, the state has asked for more money. And the state benefits from it financially and corporations benefit from it financially. And that's when Individuals on the right are in power. And then the ones on the left say, hold my beer, you on the right. And then when they talk about a war on poverty, a war on racism, a war on climate, guess what they're coming to ask for? More money. A war on COVID, more money. And then this, What's happening with Afghanistan? More than likely, they're going to be asking for more money. And again, I have to tell you guess who pays for this? You do. And so, what happens is, since the money is not actually there, if they tax us all 100%, we still couldn't afford it, right? So, they start printing money. And so, the more money they're printing, The less buying power your dollar has. And so all the talk about, oh, my gosh, we need a living wage, so on and so forth, right? You can't ever get to a living wage because, in the other hand, they're printing more money, which causes your living wage dollars that you think you're getting has less buying power. And all that is needed is to create an enemy. And when somebody creates an enemy, an anxiety happens in us, right? An anxiety of, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. An anxiety of, I don't know if I trust that individual who is next to me. An anxiety of, I don't know why that individual doesn't just do what they're told to do and take said shot or wear said uh, mask. An anxiety that says, I don't feel safe. So, oh my gosh, I should just listen to the state. They will make me feel safe. But the, the thing that the safe, safe state is not telling you is, is that, yeah, I'll make you feel safe if you do two things for me. One, you give me more of your money and two, you give me more power. It's the return of the enemy. It doesn't matter the administration. It doesn't matter the political party. They will seek to create an us versus them situation, divide us, and then ask all of us to pay for it, and then a few get rich off of it. It's just my thoughts. You can disagree with me. That's fine. But, you know. Hey, hit me up, give me a comment, all that kind of good stuff. But either way, I love y'all. Hey, connect with me on my social media. You can find me at Twitter, at Philip Fletcher. You can find me over on Facebook, Dr. Philip Fletcher. Over on YouTube, Humanity Matters, or look up Philip Fletcher or Dr. Philip Fletcher. And when you do that, if you subscribe and you like this post that I've got on my Dr. Philip Fletcher page, You'll see my handsome face, right? And it's smiling and cheesing. If you like that post, you go subscribe to YouTube. I'll send you a gift. Hey, right? And as always, you can find me over on my website, uh, philipfletcher.org. So we've been talking about the FBI. We've been talking about the return of the enemy. So my, think, my thoughts on this whole issue of creating a us versus them, it seems as if we're just left in a perpetual state of war. Now I've been in war. It is anxiety producing. It is. It wears on you. It makes you emotionally tired. It makes you physically tired. There is sort of, there is sort of a, kind of despondency at times. There is sort of a just kind of just walking through the day. Um, it becomes Groundhog's Day almost. You hear about the enemy. You hear about the tactics to address the enemy. You hear about the things to look out for regarding uh, the enemy. And it's a day in, day out, day in, day out type situation. And people wonder why veterans are the way they are especially those that have been to war. So being not only in a perpetual state of war, but then in this perpetual state of us versus them, like really look at this for a second and just focus on the last two years. We have really been in a perpetual state of us versus them. It has literally been white people, non-white people. Like, Jokers are writing full books on it, like fragile white people. You know, with uh, Robin D'Angelo, white fragility. Let me be more specific. She's got another book that's just come out. Um, obviously, Ibram Kendi um, and and his work. Like now, it is filtered down into other institutions, cultural institutions such as theater and movies. It's in our sports. It is in uh, businesses, nonprofits, this language, you know, identifying the racist history, so on and so forth, and need to enact practices and policies that are going to produce equity. Don't let me get started on that. But either way, it's an us versus them situation. You see it on your social media. You see it on TikTok. You see it on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. Us versus them. The question I've got is, Why are we such, why do we allow ourselves to be the objects of such manipulation? Why do we allow ourselves to be subjected to this type of manipulation? You know your neighbor, like you do. You know that individual that you've worked with, that individual that you've gone to school with or worshiped with, or taken walks with, or worked out with. You know that individual. Like, you do. So why do we allow ourselves to be subject, subjugated by groups who are seeking to manipulate us so that they can do two things. They can accumulate more power, right? Make you pay for it. And then walk away and you have to deal with the anxiety, the depression, the grief, the anger on a day-to-day basis while they <laughs> they got more power and more money. So the question I ask myself is this, is that why can we not just be left alone? What is it that a, a group who, who is in quote-unquote power What is it that they see in us where they believe that, you know what, those individuals, we can just take advantage of them. Maybe it's because we just allow them to. Maybe it's because we are more comfortable with our quote unquote affluence that it's just simply okay for us to give away more and more of our autonomy. Why can we not be left alone? Hmm. Hey, we got an email. Oops, wrong, wrong thing. That's my wife's thing, right? Let me get to the right one. All right, that was funny. So humanity matters podcast at gmail.com my wife has her own feature Friday show and I got her set up on this thing and I clicked on the wrong one. So send me an email. All right. I greatly appreciate it. And finally tonight, let's talk about generosity. Let's talk about generosity. and le- leading up to generosity i want to talk about this first let me let me set the stage i firmly believe that an individual for the most part wants to help somebody when an individual comes along and sees somebody in need or hears a need, I think an individual, they wanna help. I think it's in us to recognize the humanity in another individual. Now where the rubber meets the road is an individual determining for him or herself how they can help. Each one of us has a different set of skills, abilities, resources to help out somebody. I firmly believe that to be one's own self, right, is not a contradiction or doesn't stand in opposition to looking out for others. The issue comes down to how. There's like this thought, or excuse me, yes, there's this thought that is running around that the only way that other people can be helped is that the mass has to come together and do it. And in order for the mass to come together and do it, it requires some type of mm, coercion, some type of force, that there is a small group who influences a larger group, that this has to be done. As if individuals cannot freely come together to address a particular situation. So a case for generosity. It is true generosity in my estimation when an individual sees the need of another sees another individual in need and that individual responds of his or her on of his or her own free will somebody said philip said free will i did i did when an individual sees another individual in need and that individual responds right That is a true demonstration of not only compassion and empathy, but also generosity. I will be clear and say this. I believe it is a false generosity and it is a false compassion if in order to meet someone's need, The movement of that resource from one individual to the individual who is in need requires some type of coercion, some type of shame, some type of condemnation or some form of penalty. That's not compassion. That is not generosity. That's just simply social engineering. These are one of the things that that I've been curious about, right? Why is it necessary for a group to get involved and discriminate against another group in order that another group could have a need met? why is it necessary for individuals to, why is it necessary for individuals A to go talk to individuals B to address the needs of individuals C by discriminating against individuals D? If individuals A truly see, truly see with their eyes and are moved by the situation of individuals C. doesn't it not make sense for individuals A simply to go and meet that need? I don't know, by organizing themselves, pooling their resources and then moving to address individuals in group C. Why is group B necessary? And why is it necessary to discriminate against group D in order to address group C? Because what can happen is group D will just be like, again, this is things I'm reading, it can create a level of tension, um, a level of angst, a level of just looking at group C in a particular way that is, just not healthy all because what they have is just being taken from them. Okay. So my, my I'm, I'm, I'm standing and I'm looking at group a and I'm asking why the need for the discriminatory action in order to, be quote-unquote compassionate and our topic generous regarding group C. Why is it necessary? The next thing is this, is that why does group A feel that it's necessary to use group B to punish group D if they will not help group C? In what world is compassion and punishment running as twins because that's what happens today. Because again, an individual, just an individual sees the need that is happening with group C and that individual runs out and says, Hey, I saw an individual or a home they're going through this particular situation. I think we need to go do something about it. And then those individuals is like, hey, I can do this. Another individual is like, hey, I can do this and I can do this. And I know this person. and I know this person. And they marshal those resources. They've got a plan. They go over to Group C and they're like, hey, we're wanting to help. And at no point in that illustration is there a necessity for a punishment or discrimination. But here's the other thing. When group A goes to group B and says, hey, we need you to make group D help us help group C, right? What happens is group B is taking more power, not only from group D, but they're also taking power from you, group A. And then group A and group D and group C all right. are looking around and like, oh, my gosh, like, why don't they just leave us alone? I think that's where we're at today. So the idea that. It requires a group. Or excuse me, the idea that an individual. Who has self-interest. An individual who owns him or herself is not caring for another individual or group of individual, I think is far from the case. And I use as a real life example, like with our Hope Village, I have gone and I have asked and I have asked and I have asked. And I've asked, I've heard no, and I've heard no, and I've heard yes, and I've heard no, and I've heard yes, and I've heard think about it. And this is where we're at today. It's taken four years. But it's asking individuals, it's asking people who have organized and who got money, like, hey, here's the vision, here's the mission, who's who we want to address, can you help It is one individual going to another individual to get other individuals to be like, hey, can we do this? And I keep asking this question and a host of different things that are going on. And I think it's important on two notes that I want to bring up as we come to a close. One, my uh, my queen, she is a doula. And she is trained to be a midwife. And, you know, this year has been quite interesting in terms of how to uh, serve clients, especially when it comes to uh, getting into hospitals. Now, there was a period of time where she could only do the uh, support on Zoom, right? And the husband, who was typically the only other person allowed in the in the delivery room, he had to hold his phone up and you know she would be in her little office on Zoom or on her phone helping do the doula support, right? And obviously you got individuals who were birthing at home. It is what it is. Now, here's the thing, right? When hospitals step in the middle and tell a birthing mother who is at a very critical juncture in her life It's a very significant moment in life as that woman is doing the one thing that no man can do whatsoever, right, is bring a human being into the world. Uh, One of the things that I've learned is those women need their support. And they also want to be able to make the best decision as it relates to themselves and their child that they're bringing into the world and i've heard this in passing whether it's the first child or it's the fifth child no different but when a hospital steps in the middle it says well no not this or no you can't have a support right uh when a hospital bumps scheduling for other issues And then the state at the same time, (laughs) follow me here, the state at the same time, for a number of reasons, restricts the time, the training, puts all these hoops that an individual have to jump through to become a midwife when I'm trying to figure out how were people born since the beginning of time up until the advent of a hospital? I'm just trying to figure that out. I know I read in Exodus chapter one, there were midwives, there was no hospitals, So I don't understand how, but anyways. But those things are put in place by the state in order to actually move women out of home births into just keeping it in the hospitals. It's called a monopoly. That's what they're trying to do. And so the state and the hospitals work together, put up these restrictions and other things so that it makes it difficult for women to do actually the thing that they've been doing since the beginning of time. So what would it look like? And this is what we're learning in COVID. This is my first point I'm addressing. (laughs) Y'all, open up a birth center. Give birth. Give birth. God has designed your bodies to give birth and is given women the intellect and skills to know their bodies and to do these things and these trainings so that these babies can pass through and continue to perpetuate the dignity and worth that is found fully in God and revealed in human beings. The second thing is this. I saw a report that said here in Arkansas, over um, 17,000. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thank you. I hope I honored Midwives and doulas out there. The other thing is this: homeschooling. Now, I've said for years, school choice, vouchers, whatever—I don't, whatever term you want to use it—the the the right of the parent to determine how his or their or her child is going to be educated is not the right of the state but it is the right of the parent or parents. Why? Because that parent knows best what that child needs. The state don't. I'm going to be honest with you. The Department of Education in Arkansas, the school board, school districts do not know what is best because that would imply that those entities have complete knowledge and they don't. Parents, You know exactly what your child needs to be educated. Your child may need to be in a quote unquote classroom, whatever that would look like. Your child may learn best with other groups of kids. Your child may learn best by his or herself. In this day and age, your child may learn pretty well on a computer screen with technology or your child may learn best digging their little grubby hands into the dirt and playing with worms and, and jumping around at petty gene or pinnacle and learning that way about biology and agriculture, so on and so forth. Your child may learn best math by cooking. So the question becomes, with this, what I saw this report of like 17,000 people who have signed up for homeschooling, right? I need you to understand your dollars are not following you. You still going to have to pay right now. Your property taxes are going to fund the public schools. Even though you pulled your child out of public school, those dollars right now are not following him or her. And so what would it look like for you to mm, demand of the mm, individuals that you vote into office, I want my my money so I can educate my child how I see fit. Or if y'all don't like that, Right. Because I'm sure people's like, oh, my gosh, you talk about redistribution. Right. Then I'm like, well, <laughs> if somebody can give me a better solution, let me know. Or you open a school. Right. At a park. Or in your backyard, you charge some tuition so that you can get some uh, reading materials or whatever, whatever materials that you're going to need for your specific way of learning And, you know, you give them some snacks, right? Or they come with their own lunch. Now I hear people saying, Philip, what about the public schools? So this is what I say. And this is going back to my A, B, C, D thing. If you as an individual firmly believe in public schools, right, then you should voluntarily send your dollars to support that public school. I don't have kids in public school. I don't. I don't. So as a matter of, uh, I think justice, right? My property tax dollars actually should go down because I don't have kids in public schools. I would in turn would rather take those dollars and like put it in, schools that oh I see they're being effective oh that seems like some good learning because that's what people do to me and my nonprofit It's the same same thing so if you firmly and adamant believe in things like public schools right then send your money there let the other people who no longer have kids in public schools I don't my dollars don't have to go there anymore. And I promise you this, I bet your public schools would radically change. Because just like me as a nonprofit, I work off of a very small margin, right? An amount of dollars that are coming in. And so I've got to make some decisions regarding how that money is spent. So the lights are staying on, people are getting uh, compensated for what they've agreed to, to work, and... The resources are going out to the people. I have to make those hard decisions. You know, one of the the big hits I always get is this, um, and and I read this, uh, and I've been very, worked very hard with my board over the years to make sure this happens, is that more and more money is going towards the individuals that we're helping and not, into administrative costs, but when you look at public schools, you look at any state institution, the majority of the money is being sucked up into guess what? Administrative costs. So my question is this: How is it that a non nonprofits are held to a standard where grantors don't like to see a high level of administrative costs, but more money given to programs, right? But for some reason, we tolerate the state and state institutions to have higher administrative costs and less money that actually goes to helping people. So with that being said, why not create your own school? That being said, demand of your elected leader, change the laws regarding public school and funding. Change it. Things would change. Things would change. America spends a whole lot of money in schools, and what are we getting for it? What are we getting for it? Heck, there is a, hold on a second. I'll give you a prime example, right? Give me one second to bring this up. This happened in Oregon. Did you even hear about this? Let me go to my uh, trusty, dusty phone with all my notes. All righty. So this is what I'm talking about in regards to some public schools. So this is in Oregon, right? Oregon Governor Kate Brown apparently did not want residents to know what she was up to while signing a bill designed to help underperforming black students. And so what did she do, right? (laughs) On July 14th, Governor... Brown signed into law a bill that suspends, listen to this, suspends reading, writing, and math proficiency standards for graduating high school. This means students will no longer have to demonstrate the requisite skill level in these subjects to receive a diploma. Early in the year, Brown did not indicate whether she supported such a measure, but now it's clear where she stands on the issue. Now, the Oregon newspaper says this <clears throat> Brown's and I quote Brown's decision was not public until recently because our office did not hold a signing ceremony or issue a press release. And the fact that the governor signed the bill was not entered into the legislative database until July 29th, a departure from the normal practice of updating the public database the same day a bill is signed. All right. But why does she do this to help black and brown students she is admitting that by signing this bill into law that black and brown students cannot meet the requirements of reading writing and arithmetic <laughs> good night see that's that's well-meaning that's some well-meaning people i've talked about right i'm like come on come on kate is that her name kate brown right like really how 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 is how is removing any type of how is removing any type of measure to determine whether or not an individual is being proficient in math, reading, or writing how is that helping said student? but here's the rub, right? Then there's going to be a whole argument. Why can't we get said students into college? Well, good night. Say you get them into college, but since their reading and writing and math skills have not been evaluated, you've graduated them. When they get into that college, they're going to flame out. And look how much damage that you've done. So if I know that my public school in my area, the public school in my area is doing that. And my money is going to that public school. Why would I want my money to go to that public school? You're not helping anybody that looks like me. You're actually setting them up for failure. You're, there was a book, you're helping is hurting people. So, hey, Here's my encouragement to you, individuals out there, my encouragement to you, start opening schools. Start opening schools. My encouragement to you is, if you see an issue that's going on in your local area, get individuals together and address the problem. Provide a counter solution to the ineffectiveness and inefficiency that the state produces. If individuals voluntarily come together and harness their resources to address a particular need that is happening in their particular locale, I give you a high degree of certainty it will be more effective and more efficient and above all, more humanizing in the long run, more humanizing to see that individual or that family flourish and then in turn, You may just, in fact, gain a friend, gain a family member. Oh my gosh, you may be able to address some of these other issues that they say that we've got problems with. We could have better conversations and understanding one another culturally and how how we speak and how we look at things in the world, all because individuals voluntarily came together and not individuals being forced to support things that they see as ineffective, that they have to support things that they see as inefficient. They have to support things that they see they have, they just don't agree with morally or ethically. Hey, whew. Thank you for joining me on uh, tonight for the Humanity Matters Weekly. As always, connect with me on any of my social media outlets. I'll be looking to connect with you. All right. Again, I'm about to hit that 5,000 mark on my private Facebook page. So once that happens, I won't be uh, jawing anymore over there. It'll be all on my Dr. Philip Fletcher page. So connect with me on there. All right. If you're interested in supporting me through Patreon, please go to my Patreon page. I would greatly appreciate it. A thank you to my new supporters. Ashley, and thank you to my new supporter, Christian. Appreciate y'all's support very much. And remember to be loved, to be kind, and to be generous. And if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Y'all take care. God bless. And I'll see y'all next week. Hey, if you found something of value, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find us on Facebook at Dr. Philip Fletcher. Find us on Twitter at Phil Fletcher. And as always, visit us on the website, philipfletcher.org.